Well, I am rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. All right, welcome to the first episode of the brand new podcast from the creators and hosts of Trek About, tuning in. Hi, everybody. So you might be wondering, what the hell is this show? Are we crazy for doing another weekly podcast? The answer is yes. To both questions. But we like watching TV so much, and we like talking about TV with each other, and we're getting a lot of great feedback from Trek About over the past three and a half years, almost four years at this point, honestly, oh my God. that we wanted to do a kind of... I guess you might consider this another spinoff podcast, kind of like Trek About Presents, but this is going to be weekly, just like Trek About. It's going to come out on Thursdays instead of Tuesdays, and we're going to kind of do this a little differently. So so I guess to recap, so Trek About is our main podcast where we talk about all of Star Trek. So we've done the original series, we've done the animated series, Next Generation, the uh original series movies at this point we're in the middle of ds9 correct so um you know and we're going or through- actually kind of not in the middle of ds9 mm, we're we're in the second we're in the back half in, of ds yeah we're in ds9 right now um our other podcast to uh trek about presents which is a movie podcast so we generally try to lump those into groups of four episodes where mm-hmm. we take a different movie on each one yep and now we are doing this is kind of going to be more of a general television podcast. Yes. So it's going to be one of those shows that that we do a lot of different types of uh, uh, television genres. So we have a lot of shows that we really like. There's a lot of shows that we think are going to be really interesting to talk about. Um, we have a long list. Of we have a long shows list of shows. We will not run out of topics for a long time. We've and got crime dramas. We've got sci-fi. We've got mystery. We've got science fiction. We have whodunits. We have comedies. Uh, Medical dramas, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Um, lawyer shows, cop shows. Political fantasy. <laughs> yeah, and, and we're going to kind of do this a little differently. So it's really going to be dependent on the show that we're doing. Uh, we're starting out with Firefly, obviously. And we chose that for a couple of different reasons. Number one, we're known for science fiction. And obviously, Star Trek is science fiction. Uh, a lot of Trek About Presents is science fiction, although not all of it. It's also short And that's very key to the concept of tuning in. There's a lot of television out there now. Uh, I think last year in 2015, I think there was something like 400 scripted series that came out. Nobody can watch all these, right? And we're starting out with Firefly specifically because it's one of those shows that has a huge cult following. People love it. It was canceled kind of unceremoniously, was, was you know shot in the back of the head and buried very quickly. And then, of course, three years later, the movie Serenity came out, which was kind of weirdly received. And, you know, it's been 13, 14 years oh since God. Firefly came out. So it's a good opportunity for us to, I think, delve into the Firefly phenomenon to talk about each episode And also, it's a good opportunity to say that we're going to mix this up between sort of shorter shows and longer shows. Yeah, we are. We have a again. We we haven't quite figured out what our next step uh, season is going to be, but we have a few more like five season series that we would probably do. So again, while this isn't a set in solid plan, we will probably alternate between you know one or two season series, maybe ones that were canceled before their time, and you know take a look at that and the ones which you know may have been finish their run and are considered, you know, unabashed classics. Yes. 
Yeah, and we'll kind of like, I think the idea is that we're going to mix up, you know, sort of shorter run shows and longer run shows. We're going to mix up half hours and hours. You know, we're going to kind of decide on a show-to-show basis whether or not we're going to talk about two episodes per podcast or one episode. For Fly, for Firefly, we're going to do one episode per podcast. Uh, you know, just because really it's it's so short, it's only 14 episodes plus the movie, um, that it really just, you know, it, we don't need to, to kind of rush through it. So let's talk about the pilot episode of Firefly serenity which is confusing because that's also the name of the movie of course at the time when they named the episode they didn't know there would be a movie serenity so there we go but joss whedon also wrote the movie so he after he titled else. the episode why so. didn't he name it serenity to the serenity yang because that because he named it firefly uh, this is not a great pilot okay good i uh, i it, it's it's okay and if I remember correctly, the second episode was actually – this is one of those series that part of the problem was they didn't show every episode. They showed episodes out of order. Yes. Uh, there were, I think, gaps in uh, – you know, it would be like three weeks between episode kind of a thing if I remember correctly. Uh, no, that didn't no, happen. they did do the uh, they, run. they took a little bit of a break I think for like Thanksgiving and stuff. But okay. that's That's pretty common. Well, let's talk Either about- way, they did show the second episode first because they felt it was a better pilot and we will certainly get to that next week well that's actually incorrect really yes so it's correct and not correct it's kind of largely correct but but there's actually some background information there that that is is kind of interesting and i think that you know i don't know how much i actually want to talk about the whole show at this point i think that we might want to save that for when we kind of get to the end of it and we kind of do an overview of firefly in general and i will say you know it, it this is a show that Eric and I have both seen. I've seen this at least two or three times at this point. Uh, I think I've only seen it once, and I have not. I mean, I saw an episode yeah. of it a few months ago. Um, well, but Yeah, well, I wouldn't say this is a show that I know backwards and forwards by heart. Is It is a show which I remember how all the episodes go. I, I remember the plot. I remember where characters end up kind of things. So. And I don't. So that's – oh, my God. It's like a role reversal for us. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like the opposite of Trek about. Oh. Um, well, the, the thing is that, that you know I think Firefly is an interesting show because it really uh, – it, it, it's kind of the canary in the coal mine for the collapse of network television. Okay. And you know, uh, people listening to this mostly are going to know Firefly. I think mostly are going to be fans of Firefly or at least be familiar with it. And – you know, it, it came out in 2002. You have to remember what 2002 was like. You know, this was only a year after 9-11. The country was in a very weird place. It, it, you know, it, it, things like Joe Millionaire were popular at the time. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, yes. like the, the Survivor was popular. I mean, like people were looking for sort of escapist fantasy, yeah. you know, stuff. And this is not that. No. This is a very – I mean, the pilot especially, which, of course, was not aired until, I think, December of twenty of 2002. Uh it's very, very, very dark. And I mean, it begins with the war scene. You know, it begins with the scene where they're in this war. And, it, you know, sure, this isn't saving Private Ryan. It's not gut gory. It's not bloody. But it is a fairly – people are getting shot. You know, there is that yeah. one young soldier who is just so traumatized that he's catatonic. You know, people are dying. You know, they are completely getting taken over. At the, I mean, it's a, it's it's a – it's very bleak. It's fairly violent. It's very. It is a very dark beginning, and the rest of the episode stays kind of that way. But I can really see, you know, Fox rejected this episode as the pilot, and the train job, which is the next episode we'll talk about, which was the second episode filmed. 
it wasn't just made after the pilot. It was actually intended to be a second pilot. So when the first pilot, Serenity, got rejected by Fox, Joss Whedon, and I think Tim Minear, who was actually the showrunner yeah. on Firefly, went back to the drawing board. You know, one of Fox's objections was that it was not uh, action-packed enough. So they, they did the train job, which, as I remember, is kind of like a heist episode. Yes. It's very action-packed. Um, so it's a little strange to talk about because I think when we, I don't remember that much about the train job, but I think it kind of like reintroduces the characters again in some way. Yeah. So, you know, talking about this, it's like a lot of the episodes were aired out of order, you know, and it's really kind of, like I said, it's a canary in the coal mine for the collapse of network television because they don't do this kind of stuff anymore. You know, they don't, they don't show episodes out of order of television shows. They don't interfere to this level I, I you know and the thing is you know joss whedon also never really worked in television again he did dollhouse I, but and i ha- i will have a few questions about dollhouse but uh just kind of in general because it's something i've never seen uh but it's definitely firefly yeah. is definitely the kind of show where you can see a lot of the tensions that are kind of becoming uh, untenable in, yeah. in network television. Because, again, you know, and I think it's important to know that in the past, you know, decade before this show had happened, you know, before this had happened, even less than a decade, Buffy and Angel were both on, and they were both legitimate hits. And they both, Well, they weren't hits. <laughs> well, no. Weren't, well, for their networks, weren't they? Uh, I don't know. They, 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 they made it more than one season, I certainly. Guess. They made it. I mean, you know, they were, they were on the WB, so it's like that's really low-hanging fruit. Still, but and they then, became and a, UPN, of course. They were fairly. Or, uh, no, the CW. Buffy more than Angel was a very iconic character, though, at the time. I mean, I she as an image was everywhere, and, and it was, I guess, popular in that sense. Yes. It was, and I think you have to kind of look at, you know, I think I think the 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 primary problem with Firefly is that you know it's it's very interesting concept. It's a very very well executed show. It's very well written. I I think the pilot is well written. I think the pilot has problems, which we'll talk about. But I don't think that Joss Whedon is a well, you know, now that I say that because he made the Avengers, which made a billion dollars. But you know, he's not the kind of writer that is going to make a mass hit. And, you know, the one of the reasons why The Avengers is such a mass hit is because just comic book movies in general are becoming yeah. a mass cultural phenomenon. But, and that mostly has to do with, like, things that are totally outside of the scope of this podcast. But, you know, and so looking at Firefly, kind of like he leveled up. He went to Fox, which was a bigger network. He got a nice development deal from them. He came up with this interesting concept. But it just did not, didn't do well. And, and I, I think that, you know, some of it was because it was mistreated by Fox, but yeah. also some of it was frankly because I think the show is not a network show. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have. This is a kind of show that w- if this had come out a couple of years later, you know, maybe he should have gone to HBO again and or or sci-fi. Exactly. I mean, or, yeah. like, like this. This there is, were other places. This was exactly around the same time that Battlestar Galactica, yeah. you know, became a thing. And, and Battlestar Galactica's ratings were quite a bit lower than Firefly, but Battlestar Galactica made it four seasons. Now, of course, you're comparing, you know, a, a, a basic cable network yeah. to to you know a, a, a broadcast network, which is not. But at the really time, done, again, but, you you would. Battlestar Galactica going, you know, on sci-fi more, was more it wanted to be the biggest show on that network rather than, you know, this going on to Fox was being one of however many shows was what Fox was launching at the time. Yeah. And yet at the same time, you know, it seemed like a, it m- must have seemed like to, seemed like a safer bet to go on the established network rather than, you know, sci-fi was 
I mean, it still is, I would say, you know, not it's not a prestige channel. I don't know, is it? No, no. And they definitely are trying to, to get back to that. I mean, the yeah. Expanse, for example, got a lot of press. Yes. The Expanse also, I think, got less than a million viewers an episode. Yeah. Which is just how that, I mean, that's just par for the course. But that's, that's how things go. That's the kind of thing that a network like Sci-Fi makes a series. It knows that going in. Yeah. It knows what it's, you know, user base is really. Yeah. So... Let's talk about the pilot. Let's talk about Serenity because yes. I, I I don't know. It's interesting watching this. I, I think that it's – I don't necessarily know that it justifies its 90-minute running time. Yeah. I think that it's, oh, yeah, it could be cut. <laughs> it does a good job of introducing the characters. I think it does a good job of introducing an interesting world. It feels very lived in. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I really like about Firefly in general is how lived in the universe feels. Yeah, it's you know it's very good at world building. It doesn't explain itself too much, but it is also kind of creaky in places. Yeah, I mean that it is kind of it it, it is good good at doing things. For example, the you know when the Reavers are introduced, obviously they need to introduce that to you know, the audience, but, you know, they don't have Zoe explaining that to Mal, for example. They have it explaining him to Simon, who is, you know, so removed from all of this that, you know, he thinks, you know, it's like saying to us the boogeyman or something like that. You know, they do things like that. Which which the Reavers are one of those things that I have a problem with, but... We will be talking a bunch about the Reavers. (laughs) That, yeah. It's, you know, so the, 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 the episode starts out with this war, like you said, and it's this battle at Serenity Valley or something like yeah. that. They don't really give us a lot of context for what's going on. And it, it, it it's not that interesting, frankly. You know, I, when, when it starts, you know, you entered the, the two characters that, that we know that go into the show that are established very early on are Malcolm and Zoe. Yeah. And we don't know who they are. We don't know what they're doing. We know that they're in this war. We know that they're trying to, to win something. Uh, they get rejected for air support by whoever is their commanding officer. Yeah. And then the war, you know, the, the last shot is the ships just kind of like shooting missiles at them. Yeah. And then of course it cuts to six years later and they're on the, on their, they're on yeah. serenity. And obviously, yeah, that, you know, what we know is that there was a battle and that this was the moment that the war was lost. But the problem with it is uh, it doesn't really do a good job of making me interested yeah. in, in what the battle was, what they were fighting for, or yeah. tying it to to anything in the pilot. See, what I know about the the battle is that, it, you know, there is this, you know, faction called the Alliance, which is, you know, their empire. It's – and, you know, one of the – one of the intentions and themes of Firefly is to examine that concept of the Galactic Empire and – uh it's much more it, – it's not a full-on evil empire in, in this series. It does some evil things in the, in the course of achieving its goals, but it does try to get a more ambiguous thing. Either way, Malcolm is one of the people on the rebellion, and this is the moment when the rebellion fails and the alliance kind of becomes cemented. Right. That said, this is all stuff I know from having seen the series before. Right. It doesn't even make it clear – that this is the the end of the war. Right. Right. And I think you know it is revealed later. And I as I understand it the 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 battle scene was expanded a little bit because Fox, you know, when they it, saw the pilot initially they wanted more action in it and so they kind of, you know, amped it up a little bit. It seems it, like the kind of thing where they could have a very, you know, couple quick things and then it begins with, you know, them um 
them actually, you know, you can see a version of the pilot that begins with them just doing this smuggling job, which is where it goes after the war scene. And then someone's saying, no, we need to have an action sequence. And okay, well, a war is a very easy action sequence to do. But I don't think that I don't think that opening the the pilot with the the battle adds anything to it. Yeah. I, I don't think it tells us anything, and it's it's completely a contextual, and I don't know yeah. why it's there. And that's and you know I, I I don't mean to be harping on this so much because it's only five minutes at the very beginning of the pilot, but I think it is indicative of kind of the 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 way that Joss Whedon was thinking about this show and kind of the pressures that he was under I think. Well, you know something let me let's talk about Star Wars because at the beginning we have a you know the empire taking you know and Darth Vader taking now not only do we know from the costuming that that Darth Vader is a very bad person mm-hmm. that you know not only do we know that we are on Princess Leia's side from the second we see you know that's visual stuff but there's also that lovely text crawl at the beginning which sets up the scene in a very I mean this is the kind of show that maybe it would be would have been very helpful to have just a you know couple of, you know in the year whatever you know the alliance was cementing its power, you know, a group of rebels, but the Battle of Serenity Valley was the end of this, and go into the war scene. That's all we need to know. And then, you know, then we have our establishment of what's going on. Yeah. You know? Well, I don't even know that it's really necessary. I mean, that's part of the problem with talking about, you know, Firefly the show in general yeah. is that I don't know how important to the show yeah. the rebellion would have become. Yeah. You know was I mean? that like, just is, establishing is it, who Malcolm was and why he is? Very good at, you know, military and, you know, leadership and stuff. But at this point, you know, this is how one lives a authentic life as a rebel in a system. You know, it, it, yeah. Is it a character note or is the rebellion going to be the, season, the rest of the series? And that's the problem with it is that you don't need that to establish that in any way. Mm-hmm. Again, it doesn't add anything to the show. It doesn't add anything to this episode. It's just a way for them to get some missiles launched, which, yeah. you know, I'm not that interested in it. And the and, show is not at its best when it's about Mitch. You know, the show is not good when it's miss- missiles launched. It's best when it's characters launched. Yes, exactly. I mean, I think the, sh- the the pilot really takes off when they get to, I think it's Persephone. And yes. And they, then it they starts start to meeting, breathe. Yeah, you know, you get, you get uh, Shepard Book and you get, you know, Simon and you get River and you, you know. Once you spend five minutes, I mean, when you, Kaylee is wonderful. She's, you know, everybody loves her from the second they see her. You know, they do a very good job of, you know, this is exactly who this woman is. Wash. He's playing with the dinosaurs. We know exactly who he is. Zoe and Mal, I mean, we, we see them as, we have had the scene where they know we see them as ex-soldiers and now we see them as professionals on a heist job. I mean, it does a very good job of establishing who these people are. It just takes a little too long to start that process. It, it does, yeah. And I, you know, I do think that I, I, I do think that Malcolm's experiences in on the losing side of a war are important to the show and will be imp- yeah. would have been even more important to the show if it had gone, you know, for seven seasons in a movie. But I, you know, I just I don't know. To what degree the pilot does a good job of establishing that. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually, interestingly enough, the pilot does, of all the characters, I think that the pilot does the worst job of establishing Malcolm as a character. I would say that. He is kind of flat in this. He's He's very flat. He's very stern for no reason. There's very little context given for his actions. 
We know him as the – you know, they're trying to establish him as the kind of person who he's gruff and an asshole to anybody who isn't part of his family. You know, this concept of the crew is one of the major motifs in the series mm-hmm. and, yeah. uh, you know, what it means to be on Mal's crew. And, you know, the obviously there is the arc of, you know, Jane is a horrible person but he's on the crew. Uh, he doesn't like Simon and, you know, he doesn't trust River but at the end, you know – he has come to appreciate them and, you know, offering the spot on the crew is obviously him saying, you know, you are something to me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's all we know about him, but it, it, it seems just based on this episode, it seems to really come out of nowhere. And which, which I will say Simon does point out, you know, he, he, he is just as taken aback by the statement. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that 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 again, that's why the pilot isn't as successful as it perhaps mm-hmm. it could have been because a lot of what happens happens because it has to happen. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like there's there's a there's a degree to which there's a level of sort of plot convenience to this, yeah. and I don't really understand. The problem is I, I don't mean, really understand. Like perfect well, example, what you just said. I don't understand why Malcolm let Simon and River stay on the ship, and. Well, I think part and of that there, has to do with – does have to do with Kaylee. I mean the scene where she is you know, saying, look, you know, he wasn't – he was going to take care of me no matter what, you know, and she basically tells Mal to go easy on him. I yeah. Mean, it, it's made very clear that everybody on the ship does love – you know, does love her and if she does – you know, she – you know, feels something for Simon, you know, and, you know, obviously, you know, whether or not that's a crush we'll talk about, but, you know, she likes him. And if, you know, if Kaylee says, no, like this guy, you know, keep him around, he's all right, you know, that I think does count for something, you know, which is part of how being on Mal's crew works. I suppose that's true. And I think that, you know, if you can say anything about Malcolm as a character in this episode, particularly, it's that the one thing that really shines about his character is that he is loyal to his crew. Yes. And that is something that obviously becomes important to the show as it goes on. That said, I don't get a good sense of the decisions that he's making. Yeah, and that loyalty seems earned cheaply. It does, and also the problem with it is that I'm fine with an ambiguous show mm-hmm. that doesn't give me the internal logic of why a character is making a decision, but I have to... I have to feel that there is an internal logic to it that I just don't yeah. know. And I just, it just feels like Malcolm is making decisions because these characters are in the opening credits. I mean, he is, <laughs> you know what I mean? I would say he does have an amount of capriciousness to him. He does have an, um, an amount of irrational stubbornness to him. Sometimes, I mean, I, I don't, I guess, you know, maybe, and maybe that will be the question that we ask about Malcolm Reynolds. Does, do we buy his capriciousness? Do we buy that? He is the kind of person who is, who is going to do the worst idea just because someone tells him not to. I don't know. Yeah, because in the in the pilot, I will say that hasn't sold me. You know, you're right. No one on the ship wants you know Malcolm to just leave River and Simon on this planet that yeah. they're in at the end because you know it's made very clear they can't survive five minutes. But that said, you know most of the people on the ship would think that all right, the right thing we'll do we'll convince Mal to. You know, we'll drop them off at the next, you know, space station and, you know, they'll have to find their own way. But at least, you know, it's in channels that he understands. Um, and, you know, but he takes them on the crew. It, it is a bad idea for them to be harboring a known fugitive, even if he is a brilliant doctor. It is a bad idea for them to have River, who is, 
mentally extraordinarily unwell and very unstable and not in a situation which is – I mean she, people get shot in front of her. She is held mm-hmm. at gunpoint in this episode. It's not a good environment for her to heal in. Uh, and he seems to do this just out of his own, you know, well, it's what the hell else to do, you know. He, he Well, he is he, – Malcolm is making decisions I think that are both – looking at the long term and looking at the short term and you know there's a tension to the character in this episode where and zoe seems to be sort of a moderating influence on him to some degree as well we can't forget that i mean it's not that that is the one thing i think that the the opening scene does that is important is it establishes that of all the characters that we meet zoe and malcolm have perhaps the longest history together yeah that said there's there's a tension to the the way that Malcolm is making decisions in this episode where he's very very he's he's trying his hardest to think about the long term ramifications of what he's doing. He doesn't want to keep Simon on the ship. He wants to get rid of him. Uh, at the same time, when push comes to shove, he's very willing to make a short term decision. Like perfect example when he's running back to the ship on those horses with uh, with uh, Zoe and Jane. In the he, end. He, in the, at the end of the episode, and, and he sees that uh, the, the lawman, uh, the Fed, um, and it also bothers me that they're called Feds, even though it's the Alliance, I, whatever, that's, yeah. you know, but <laughs> it, it's a little too Western for me, uh, that he just goes ahead and shoots the guy. You know, he's like, well, this is bullshit. I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. We've got bigger problems. We've got Reavers coming for us right now. This is, uh, whatever, I'll deal with the long-term ramifications yeah. of, of killing a lawman later on. They're going to dump him on the... Uh you know, planted and hope. You know, hopes if if any, if there's any investigation that they just figure somebody robbed and shot him. You know, and, and it's very po- and it's very possible that you know the show does establish that the the alliance has almost no presence on these yeah. sort of you know border worlds or whatever you want to call them or frontier worlds. And so it's very possible that they'll never find him. Yeah, and he'll just have disappeared. You know, and I think that's one of the things that is is you know if we can move aside from the characters for a second and talk about the world a little bit, I think that that's one of the things that I find it, it, it's interesting and it's also kind of aggravating about the way in which the the world is set up because we don't really get a good sense of how this is structured at this point, which is fine. You know, we get kind of oblique references to border moons. We get kind of oblique references to frontier worlds. You know, we get these kind of like uh, uh, earth that was like, we don't really know what's going on. I think we get kind of a sense that the Alliance has control in sort of some central areas. And then outside of that is very sort of lawless. Yeah. It's trying, you know, the, the planets like where patience is at the end, uh, you get the sense they're attempting to, uh, expand their borders, but they aren't actually. They're using very. It, it, it's very cynically clever from the alliance's point of view. As one of the, I I don't remember if it's Malcolm or Jane who says it. You know, they basically. I, I assume it was Malcolm. You know, when they're setting up a colony, they say they just you know send them some livestock, send them a basic agricultural package, send a bunch of people over and wish them luck. And if you know, it costs the alliance nothing yeah. to do this. You know, if they manage to. You know, get a home. You know, I mean, this is like land grants. You know, back in you know the day in the U.S. You know, that we want to expand the border, so we'll just give you really cheap land. And if you make if you make it work, great. 
If you don't, well, there's someone else who's going to, you know, try it or we'll try yeah, it and somewhere there else. Is, you know, and I, I don't know, but you could extrapolate, okay, maybe there are, you know, resource uh, problems on the central planets yeah. and they're just sending people out because they don't have enough food to feed them all or they're getting overpopulated. I, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, we'll see what happens. And I think that if I remember correctly, the movie Serenity uh, does kind of open with a, a, a more, you know, thought out explanation of what exactly is going on. It's a little yeah. more exposition-y than this is. Uh, you know, and I'm not really a fan of pilots that are, you know, super exposition-y, but I yeah. think that this one does, it, it goes a little too, a little too, you know, closely to the line of not explaining enough. The questions don't, I mean, it's one thing to make a series that has a lot of mysteries and questions and things that we're not sure about, but at the same time, it you know, this feels like uh, it's it's a little too ambiguous, it's a little too unthought out, which you know, is not the case with this universe. You know, if you ask Joss Whedon at the time of writing this episode, all right, tell me what the tell me everything about the Alliance. You'd be sitting there for the rest of the day. You know, he has thought these questions out. Mm-hmm. And certainly we don't want to overwhelm the viewer with all of this right away, especially if, again, the point of the series is these characters. And, you know, the thing that people love about the series is the characters. And we want to get into that right away. Fine. And parcel the other stuff out. And and that's where and you know to be clear that is where Joss Whedon shows do shine. Yes, you know if you look at Buffy or you look at Angel, those shows were not super interested in extensive world building beyond the you know just just very very yeah. central characters. Yeah, which you, is okay. You never get a sense of how you know Buffy's Watchers were really founded, even as you're meeting the Watchers Council. You right, know? right. Uh, but it doesn't matter. You know the what. Yeah, it's not as much about its plot and its world as it is about its heroes and its villains. You know, you have these really wonderful villains like the mayor and glory, but their history doesn't really need to make as much sense. Right. And I think that that's kind of, you know, the elephant in the room, of course, is Firefly as a reaction to Star Trek. And, you know, I I don't know what Joss Whedon's history with Star Trek is. I don't know if he watched it. I, you know, I'm not a big Joss Whedon, you know, fanboy. I I, I don't pay super close attention to him or what he says or what he's interested in. (laughs) But I, I mean, I'm not saying that to be a jerk. I just, you know, he's fine. But uh, I'm not like a Joss Whedon, you know, I don't know a lot about him. So I think that, that, that that's kind of where Firefly, I think, falls down to is it's a very, I mean, and I have kind of this problem with Battlestar Galactica. I have this problem with Babylon 5, which is that, yes, it's unfair to compare any show set in space with Star Trek, but the Alliance is the Federation. And... The Alliance is the Federation based on some based on someone's impressions of the Federation who does not watch Star Trek. That's the thing. I mean, a lot of, I that's the thing I'm starting to find out about these things that are trying to approach the Federation again in this sense. Yeah. You know, because Deep Space 9 is somebody is is doing a, a, an outside view of the a more objective view of the Federation, one which acknowledges the problems with the Federation based on people who based by people who know the Federation extraordinarily well inside and, and out and who love it and know its own faults. This is somebody who doesn't really know quite what the Federation is, but has some general ideas and is just kind of talking about something else. 
Well, and also I think too, it's it's you know, Joss Whedon went on record as saying that that his conception of Firefly was you know he wanted to do a futuristic space show where all of the sort of problems and 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 you know personality ticks and these kind of things were going to be pretty much the same in the future. And I think that that's wrong. You know, I, there's there's definitely a strain of science fiction, especially yeah. television science fiction. And I think that you know you could argue that. You know, Star Trek has a lot of virtues, I think, especially with, you know, sort of TNG uh, uh, having a sort of a lived in feel is not one of them, you know, and uh, I don't get a good sense of what the culture is like and I don't get a good sense of what the society is like necessarily. And I think it's also instructive to remember that Firefly is about the you know firefly is about the the outrageous akana firefly is not about the federation do you know what i mean yes and so we have to remember that too uh but it's really that i don't you know there there, so there's that strain of science fiction and then there's a sort of the strain of science fiction that's more kind of in the babylon five or firefly vein where it's modern day america extrapolated out to 500 years in the future and that's not super interesting to me either it's like show me something different you know and especially with firefly where it is doing this very sort of western spin on it yeah it it, to the degree where it's not just western influenced but uh they're wearing western outfits in some ways i mean it almost seems like it's taking a page from like canical for Leibowitz, which is you know it's far in the future but everyone's dressed like you know monks in a medieval monastery you know they they it's one thing to go back to certain tropes but the fashions i guess is what does it for me do you know what i mean yeah and i think that you you certainly could argue for example that people living on a planet that's very similar to the American Southwest would wear similar clothing because, you know, I think people forget that, you know, before we lived in, you know, suburbs with cars and we didn't have to deal with like the sun and we didn't have to deal with getting wet all the time. Like clothes were very functional. No, someone wearing a wide brimmed hat and a poncho that, you know, that's, that's because you otherwise you're going to get sunburned to shit. Exactly. And so, so clothes were very, very functional before, you know, sort of the mid 20th century. Now you could, and I think that you could argue that, that the clothing on these border planets Mm -hmm. would be, functionally very very similar to what people wore in the american southwest but it's not going to look exactly the same and frankly you know uh, you know going for that further yes you're also going to uh you're probably manufacturing it through the same methods you know there is you get the sense there is a lot of you know stuff made by hand on these worlds you know these are not be they're not replicating you know that these hats they're making it so they they have cattle they're going to skin the cattle and make leather and you know there are only so you know that it is true right um there are some degrees to which this world is reminding me of there's a series of jack vance novellas called the demon princes which is but it's taking place in a similar thing where you have a generally centralized area but then outside of that there's these you know, border planets mm-hmm. and, you know, where all sorts of crimes and, you know, slavery and, you know, kidnapping are just rampant because there is no law there. And, you know, there are definitely some Western influences there. But one of the things I love about it is he goes off on these descriptions of clothing that are just nothing like, you know, fashion. You know, people are dyeing their skin green and, you know, yeah. wearing these ridiculous outfits. Now, I know he doesn't want to make the show a show about people wearing ridiculous costumes to a degree. And yet you don't necessarily have to hew so closely. 
Yes. And I, you know, and it's funny, I think that Joss Whedon would actually agree with us. You know, one yeah. of the, you know, in doing a little bit of preparation for, for talking about uh, the pilot episode, you know, he was very clear in saying that they didn't necessarily want to, you know, film all the outdoor scenes in, in places yeah. that looked exactly like, you know, Arizona, but it was just a, you know, they, but he was like, well, I just don't want to make it. And there's a, well, he, you know, well, cause the thing he said specifically was like, I don't just want to like, you know, dye the sky orange and make it a weird planet, which yeah. is kind of like a dicky thing to say because that's what Star Trek was doing in the 60s. And, you know, there is a degree to which you're making a science fiction show. You, you should make the planet look not like Earth. Yeah. Like At the same time, <laughs> I mean, there is a sense of grasping towards a lost past that is inherent in making these planets like Earth. Now, of course, you know, and, and maybe it's very interesting that this is coming out a year after 9-11 when, you know, America really did start to have to reckon that it's not the only country in the world, whether it, you know, successfully did or not. But there is something very interesting in that, you know, they're, you know, so they're terraforming all of these planets and making them like Earth that was. Again, you know, mm-hmm. there is this poignant sense of we're capturing something that we don't even you know, have any memories of. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but making that like a very specific part of the country in a very specific period of history that – frankly, had a lot of imperialistic and racial undertones to it. Yes. Or, you know, over, overtones to it. Well, and that, that... I don't know. That, 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 that watching it in 2016 is something that's jumping out at me. No, I think that's a good point. And I think, you know, uh, uh, that is something else that I want to talk about, which I, I do like the fact that the, the, the cast... Well, it's not as racially diverse as it could no. be because basically it's all white people and, and I think two black people. But, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was good for 2002, I guess. I mean, in uh, terms of gender makeup there, it's roughly evenly divided. I think so, yeah. I mean, there's... Well, Inara isn't white, I don't think. No, no, either, no, no, no. But, Gen- gender-wise. No, no, I know. I'm just I'm thinking in my head now. I mean, you've got Inara, you've got mm-hmm. Zoe, you've got River, you've got... Um, uh, Kaylee. Kaylee. And then you have what? So that's four women. You've got Simon, Jane, Malcolm, Book. Uh, uh, and I think... who um, There's a ninth character we're forgetting. Is there? Wash. Wash. So there's five men and four women. Okay, that's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, that's um, and I like. And there know, are you know when, you know looking at some of the characters that are later, you know they they are just kind of men and women, you know. It's, yeah, and I, I I do like the fact that the the fashions are very different. You mm-hmm. know, I think that that if you look at the way Simon is dressed, for example, yes. it, it is not exactly a copy of what someone like that would be wearing in that kind of environment on earth you know it's it's a little bit yeah. different the, the 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 cut is a little bit different he's wearing those weird like rose glasses you know uh, uh inara is wearing kind of different things yeah you know and she so- is probably the most exotically costumed because she's always wearing these you know beautiful dresses yes. you know and stuff like that yeah which goes with her character as well but the the use of like chinese i think is interesting yeah. you know, i like the fact that that you know there are some interesting choices in in the pilot that do definitely work and i think that that's one of them not mm-hmm. explaining it not subtitling it yeah. just having you know characters use it in everyday language the same way that people might use spanish in america yeah like, it's I think a bilingual it, society one assumes or yeah you know, exactly so i, I like have equal influence you know they're both lingua francas yes Although I do find it funny, and I, I don't remember if you couldn't actually say the word bitch on network television in 2002, but there was that one thing where, the, you know, Wash was about to say son of a bitch, and then they do a smash cut away from it. And I'm like, could they really not say bitch on network television in 2002? <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think, you know, it's – I don't know. Let, let's go back to the characters because I do want to talk about about how they're sort of introduced. And 
you know, we've talked about Malcolm, we've talked about Zoe, we've talked about, um, you know, sort of Simon and River. Kaylee, I think we've also talked about Kaylee. So we haven't really talked about Book. We haven't really talked about Inara. And I think that... Yeah, Wash, very briefly, he is, you know, doing with the dinosaurs and, you know, yeah. and suddenly there's a thing and he has to fly. That's Wash. Book is interesting because I think that the show does a really good job of establishing not exactly who he is, but maybe that we don't know exactly everything about mm-hmm. him. Because we see him, he's obviously, you know, and that's the other thing I like about it. They sit, call him Shepherd. It's not exactly an earth analog yeah. to religion. He is wearing something that we would identify as religious, but it's yeah. not strictly, you know, he's not wearing a collar. like Yes. The way that, and then, of course, he punches someone. So weird things are going on with him. Yeah. You know, in some ways, he he will remind me of Garrick from DS9 in that he, you know, obviously has some kind of a past doing something, you know, that was likely very violent. And yet, you know, and now he's trying to live, you know. Yeah. Of course, I think Book is a lot more sincere in his desire for spiritual growth. I yes. mean, that, you know, that scene at the very end when he's, you know, talking to Inara and he's, you know, crying, he's saying, you know, uh, all these things have happened. I'm on the wrong ship. You know, he is genuinely having a crisis of faith. He is feeling that this is not going to, this is not the environment he wanted. You know, this is not why he left the Abbey. This is not why he went into the Abbey. You know? Right. Um, well, and I think, you know, that that's, that's a good, uh, you know, transition to talking about Inara too, because yeah. of all the characters in the pilot, I'm most intrigued by her. I think that, you know, the relationship between her and Malcolm is very ill-defined. We don't yeah. really know what's going on there. But also, I like the fact that she's a very strong female character that owns her sexuality. You know, she is a she is a prostitute, but she's not uh, ashamed of it. And this is something that seems very common. I would say she's not she's not a prostitute. She's a courtesan. Well, you know, you I mean, know, but no, I think that is a you know maybe it's not a you know a courtesan is a fancy word for prostitute. I, I don't know because I think to me it implies a her her there I I I'm about to say she's a lot more upper class than a prostitute, which is not at all the thing that I'm trying to. Yeah, because I think here. I think that there but is no, a, there I, is a degree of classism to. Well, she's not a prostitute; but at the, she's a courtesan. It's like, but at the same time, she has sex with dudes for money. But at the same time, the way her uh her particular iteration of the profession is defined, she is um. There, there are almost. Uh, She's not hanging around the docks, and no, there and are almost offering like elements to it. She is offering you know, blowies to dudes for five dollars. Yes, but no, she, she is, is still. She is still having sex with men for money, and that is that. Is, and I yeah. also, I you know, I'm being kind of uh, argumentative. No, no, I, I know exactly why you're using the term in, in that way. Yeah, because I don't think there's anything wrong with being a prostitute. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, I guess maybe I'm talking about the difference between. Uh, I, I don't know. This seems like more perfect. You need a license to be a courtesan but you know anybody you know it's the difference between a cook and a chef well that's the thing though is that i think she's the most intriguing character because of the the fact of the fact of that frankly and also because of what it says about the world you know malcolm makes this joke that she's the diplomat yeah and or she's the whatever Ambassador. ambassador and and it said like you know her presence being on the ship helps us get into areas we might not necessarily be able to and that's exactly the kind of establishment of a world without exposition that I really yeah. like because that little detail tells you a lot about the society in which they live. Yes. And I also think that she's also the character that has 
the most success in navigating all of these different types of characters. Yes. In a real way, I mean, you could argue that Kaylee, I mean, Kaylee is sort of the, the, I don't know, she's the pop- She's the little sister. Yeah, she's the little sister of the ship. You know, that scene where, Inara's you know, she's kind getting- kind of, not the mom, but she's, she's the peacemaker, I think. Yeah, I mean, she, I don't, I really like, I, li- I love the scene when, you know, she comes back to the ship and, you know, you know, Kaylee goes right up to her, you know, they're linking arms and they're gossiping, you know, and they, they yeah. do have a very sisterly relationship. I think there's a, you know, an episode later on where they're brushing each other's hair, you know, they, they have that kind of a relationship and that's very nice, you know. They are, you know, because I, I mean, I would I also wouldn't, I don't think any of the characters can, you know, are the mom in a way. River is certainly not and Zoe is not the mother in any way either. Yeah. You know, she is certainly an, an authority figure, you know, she is certainly a you know, sexual figure, but she is not, you know, the mommy figure. No, 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 not at all. Not um, at all. And, and I, she's also the character that I think is, is, is the most ill-defined in the pilot. I, I don't know that we get a good sense of her in this pilot. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the main scene, I don't want to say necessarily that they're defining Zoe by the men in her life, but at the same time, um, I think they are. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there there is very specifically the. Uh, I mean, let's say it. Yeah, I, um, and, and that partially is just what's happening in the pilot. There, you know, maybe I'm, you know, saying there's only ninety minutes sounds a little. Uh, well, I think I think churlish, but you know, in a certain sense, you could argue that all the women in the pilot are kind of defined by the men in their lives, but at Rivers. the same time, well, Kaylee isn't. Uh, no, Kaylee's defined by her. Kaylee sort of is. I mean, she's she's I, got this interesting relationship with Malcolm. Uh, you know, it's, but th- no, I would say Kaylee is defined by her relationship to the ship. Okay, that's fair. you know, River is defined by uh, you know, River. M- maybe they aren't. You know, no, I would say they are not defined by the men in their life. You know, Zoe might be at this point, but Anara certainly is, and she is taking. You know, her she refuses to yes. let you know her her position. You know. This is something that she does. She has her feelings about it. She knows it's her job. The way that she acts when, you know, her customer leaves is, yeah. you know, that's a look that I have given, you know, so many times at, you know, my own customer service jobs that, like, I know that, you know, that is kind of the feeling like, oh, God, he was an asshole. I'm done with him, you know, kind of a thing. But, um, you know, River is, you know, not – I wouldn't say River is defined as Simon's sister because – you know, it's made very clear she is brilliant, she is broken, you know, and one of the reasons that I do think it is b- because there are certainly there are certainly problems with if you have one female character and she's broken or she's a hooker or, you know, whatever, um, or she's the ice queen in Zo- as Zoe is. Um, I don't know. If I, I don't know if I would argue that Zoe's the ice queen. But no, anyway. that, well – yeah, no, no, ice queen isn't really a right word and especially the way that she is. She's very – She's – Masculine. She, she can be very scary, I think I was going to say. But um, they do – they are defining Zoe, at, you know, by her relationship to her husband and by her relationship to Malcolm. But in ways which I would say might reveal her character. There is that one scene when she and Wash are talking and they're doing that basic, oh, we – We've been working so much. It's it's the typical gender flip of the we've never gone on our honeymoon because you're a workaholic. But at the same time, Zoe does seem to like her work. She says she's going to talk to Mal in a way that which means, yeah, but he's going to give me something interesting to do and I'm going to do it anyway. And he has – Wash says that better, you know, call him sir first. And, you know, 
I would say th- – and Malcolm comes in and she immediately does call him sir and that is a joke. It's interesting. A few years ago, I read a, a piece about this – the series specifically talking about Zoe and making uh, – talking about the implications of having a black woman call a white man sir the entire series. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that I don't think that that particularly is the – there aren't I'm not getting a sense of a acknowledgement of a racial or gender difference in the sir. No. To me, I think that is a very specific her calling him sir is hearkening back to that military past and to the defeat at the Battle of Serenity Valley and in a way still acknowledging that he is even though he lost that battle, even though he lost that war, there is still a that was not a loss in a way. Yes. This is a group of people who believe that uh, this is a very these characters are very defiant in many ways in the face of loss they will still persist they because that's what you do and i think that that you know this may be a little bit of a, a cop-out but i think that zoe is a character who is played by a black actor she is not a I black w- character i w- if that makes sense i would agree with that particularly because well, I mean, that that is part of the, you know, we, we are talking about how these are hearkening back to a certain degree, a, a certain era in American history. And yet, by this point in the future, the particular uh, resonances that, that it would have maybe. But at the same time, this is a show that is being made in America in 2002. Sure, so, sure. Um, I, it, it's very early to talk about this particular theme. I think in a lot of ways... You know, we're kind of identifying themes that we will be talking about over the next several weeks. Mm-hmm. But for me, that is, you know, that is one question about Zoe. Is she a person who is only defined by relationships to other people? And is she a person who is subservient and subordinate to Malcolm? I don't think she is portrayed as subservient, even though she is certainly of a different rank in a way. Yes, I think so. Now, before we, maybe before we wrap this episode up, I think that that um, we should talk a little bit about the plot of the episode because we haven't really talked too much about it. And you know, I, I don't know. It's fine. You know, like I think the that episode there. The episode's plot is only a way is only a way to introduce its character. Well, absolutely, yeah. And I think that that it does a good job at introducing the world. It does a pretty good job at introducing some of the characters, although not all of them certainly. Uh, but it's not. I don't get a good sense of a driving force for the plot that Mm. makes me really interested to know what's happening from moment to moment. You know, it's one of those things where I look at this episode and I say, how many times did I check and see how much time there was before it was over? And, you know, it was four or five times. I mean, there is a degree to which I'm not super interested in, you know, do they get away from the Reavers? Yes, of course they do. Because this is the pilot of the show and this is the setting for the show. Uh, Is Kaylee going to die? No, of course not. You know, and yeah, okay, again, this is a Joss Whedon show, so anything is possible. But that's kind of an overblown statement on Joss Whedon shows. And so for me, it's, it's, it's fine, you know, but I can see the network's point that this is not a super entertaining 90 minutes of television. It's not bad, but maybe it, in some ways, it's a show that I enjoy a little more having seen more episodes and knowing who these characters were, are because 
it is just kind of them doing their jobs and just meeting people and, you know, doing whatever. On the other hand, there are a lot of things the where where it, there is no plot to hang it on and there these aren't the best incarnations of these characters. These aren't the most well thought out and defined versions of them. Yeah. No no one's a hundred percent sure. Although this isn't you know, this certainly isn't a show where no one has any idea what they're doing, so I don't know. It was an okay pilot. It's Are an, we it, well, and, that, and that's the thing. I mean, it's an okay pilot, but I also think that I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be be churlish because I think that that this is a problem that a lot of pilots. Yes, have. There, there's a lot of place setting that needs yes, to happen. Yes. There's a lot of introduction of characters that needs to happen, and I also think that it's going to be really instructive to discuss the train job next week because uh, yeah. that was explicitly written as a second pilot. Does and this so, do a better job of explaining does, everything? Right. Does that episode do a better job of introducing the characters? Does it do a better job of of telling an interesting story? I, I recall that it does. Yeah, this but, is kind of one of those long, sprawling intro tracks that's like 15 minutes long and it goes nowhere. And then track two is the big hit single, maybe. Is that the case? We'll find out. We'll find out. Yeah, I think so. And I think that uh, it's going to be interesting for us to discuss a show that is short and was cut down before its time. Yeah. One of the questions that I will be – again, I'm talking a lot about questions that I'm going to be watching this show for. But I think one of the things I want to ask is, is this a wasted potential or the fact that it only goes one season and we know really doesn't go anywhere further? How does that feel? I mean does this feel like – do I feel satisfied after Serenity? Did they tell the show as – did they tell the story as well as they could or is this is – it, it, is it worth watching Firefly in 2016? Well, that's the thing. I think that, that one, of the, one of the things that, that, that we would like to do with this show is all of the shows that we're going to talk about I think are going to be shows that ultimately are worth watching. You know, I, I don't necessarily think that we're going to get to the end of this and say Firefly is shitty. Don't watch it. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I, we don't want to waste anyone's time. I think that the point of the point of tuning in is to, uh, you know, one of the things that I want to do um, once we finish a show is you know, kind of compile a master list on on tuning in dot com and, and come up with like, is this an essential show? Yeah. You know, is this is this kind of like if you don't have anything else to watch, check it out. Maybe we could. What would be might be cool is if we. How, you know, if you're gonna maybe you shouldn't watch all Firefly, but these three episodes are really good. Yeah, know? yeah, I think so. And so if I there think- are a couple of episodes because that that is a big thing with a lot of TV series. How do you, uh, Babylon Five is something we've mentioned. How what's the one ep- if you want to show one episode of Babylon Five? Well, the first season does a lot of plot stuff, but was not a very good thing. You know, right. What what are the episodes of a series? Well, the, that- the rest of Babylon Five is not very good either. But- well, uh, uh, I wonder if you folks will find out our takes on Babylon Five. That's all. I'm just going to spoil that. I know. After saying that, we're only going to do shows that we think you should watch, then we're going to do Babylon <laughs> Five. Uh, yeah, we'll see. And I think that uh, it's going to be a, a good ride over the next. Uh, well, this is episode one. We're done. So the next fourteen episodes now. Yeah. All right, well, if you have any thoughts on this first episode of Tuning In, please go to tuninginshow.com and leave a, leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast. We are on iTunes. Please leave us a rating, especially since this is a brand new podcast. Uh, if you've rated Trek About before, if you've rated Trek About Presents, please go to iTunes and rate Tuning In. Thank if you. If you've done neither of those things, please go to iTunes and rate us positively. <laughs> 
And if you've never listened to either. We are also on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we are tuning in show in all those places. Next week, we will be talking about the second pilot. Oh, my God. <laughs> of Firefly, the train job. So we'll see you then. Mac, why do you...